Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery, and I am so glad you're here. Today, we're going to talk to Mary Helen. And Mary Helen's story is also a little unique. So far, everyone that I have interviewed has been really born into a certain faith and then left to be okay, left to find themselves, left to heal. And Mary Helen actually did grow up in a religious environment, granted, two different religions. Mom and dad did not share the same faith. But when she left to be okay, when she left to find herself, instead of walking out, she went all the way in and converted to Catholic orthodoxy. And I, it's so interesting to me because yeah, most people move out and she just went all the way into the fire. And she did so searching for worthiness, searching for value, searching to be okay, which so many of us understand exactly how she was feeling. Because we have all been there. Please sit back and enjoy all of the amazing things that Mary Helen has to say. Once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, much to carry her pain no more. Okay. Hi, Mary Helen. How are you? Good. How are you? (laughs) No, I'm doing really well. I was running so late this morning that I was having a slight panic that I was not going to be on in time, but I pulled it off. Um, Even with my dramatic eye makeup on today, still got it done in time. Yes, I did. Um, Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it, this is my this is my uh, armor that I like to wear is the like mm. Egyptian eye makeup. I don't know, it just makes me feel like myself and so I'm like it just yeah, love it. Okay. So you and I met through a mutual friend and she actually it was funny. So when we met, our mutual friend messaged me and was like, "I have a friend with questions on intuition and I think you can maybe help her." Because she had been through with me through like the craziest part of my deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I am calling the like reconstruction a reconstruction a spiritual awakening on my part, like it was weird and weird stuff was happening. And Michelle, I hope she's okay with me saying her name, uh, our mutual friend was actually concerned about my mental health for a hot second. Like she was like, I believe you. <laughs> But I just want to make sure you're okay. And then as time went on, it was really nice as we started to have these beautiful conversations where it was very obvious that I I was okay and everything was fine. And it was really beautiful for her to connect us because for me, one, I was like, okay, she actually does believe that I'm not crazy. Like, this is good. Uh, And this is probably not something I should be putting on a podcast, but I have no filter and a tendency to not edit out things that I should. So 100%, this will probably end up in there. Um, but it was really nice. And then to have, <laughs> seriously, it's a thing. Um, I, I'm chalking it up to like quirky, adorable. It's like, Absolutely. it's a little. <laughs> 100%. What else? Would I do? <laughs> um, 
I would get really embarrassed of myself for so long. Like I used to flinch at my own words and I would just Mm -hmm. run over and over again. Like, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that. And that's so embarrassing. And why did I, and just berate the hell out of myself. And then I had to start recording YouTube videos for my author stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not kidding, Mary Helen. Like that first video that I recorded, I was like, like eyes closed, like reaching slowly for it, like push play. Like I don't want to. And as I started watching myself, I was like, oh, okay. Not as annoying as I thought. Uh, this is almost like kind of a weird, quirky, adorable in a silly way. Like I can work with that. This is way better than what I thought it was, (laughs) which was kind of awesome because it really helped to reset my own definition of Mm -hmm. who I was and be able to like stand a little taller in my self-confidence of like, I am fine. I am to see okay. yourself from that outside perspective. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and so immediately, like it was like, I remembered exactly my own internal reactions to what I was saying and how I was acting. And then to immediately watch it from a third party perspective was super life altering. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it really, really was. So yes, don't expect me to edit out embarrassing things that I do. Cause I won't. Um, <laughs> But no, it was really nice for her to connect us because it it was good for me and I hope helpful for you as well. Oh my gosh, um, yes. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to cross our fingers that it was good. But that started just kind of a long conversation thread between the two of us of like some Zoom calls and a lot of voice messages going back and forth about deconstruction and different belief systems and how they're held within both of us, really. And how those translate into real life. And so I'm so excited to talk to you because I know you are not the only person that struggles with the things that you're struggling and questions the things that you're questioning. And you have such a unique background in your education alone. Like you really have a setup that not a lot of people have. So I think you've had exposure to different texts and belief systems that most people have been exposed more to like the reverberations of those texts, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. For you sure. know, as, yeah. as opposed to you actually getting the core, like here's the pure material that, you know, everything else is coming from. So, okay. I'm going to go ahead and read your bio here. So everyone knows this beautiful history and then we're going to get started. Does that work for you? Sounds good. Excellent. Okay. So Mary Helen is a graduate of Grand Rapids Christian High School. She received her Bachelor's of Music Education from Northwestern University, then received a Master's in Medieval Studies from Western Michigan University. She went on to earn a second Master's of Medieval Studies from the University of Notre Dame in progress toward a PhD for which her dissertation is entitled Embodying Sanctity, Rewriting Women and Animals in Medieval English, Anglo-Norman, and Irish Hey, hey, now I panicked. I made you pronounce this for me, and now I I can't think. Hagiography. Hagiography. I could have called it Saints' Lives. Instead, I was pretentious. Hagiography. Saints' Lives. (laughs) I I deserve it. Be pretentious. I totally deserve the embarrassment. It's fine. (laughs) I love... Listen, I used the word cacophony in my voice lesson yesterday, because it just makes me happy when I can incorporate words like that into normal everyday life and watch my poor 15 year old students pretend like they have any idea what cacophony means. So see, I deserved that. Okay. (laughs) Mary Mary Helen was a former music literature and theater teacher at a Catholic school. And she now spends her time teaching violin lessons and narrating 
audiobooks, which is so cool. Uh, I had a, I went on a Mormon mission. I don't know if I've told you that, that I was a Mormon missionary. Um, yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> and one of my companions played the viola beautifully. And I loved it because I can't sing with a violin because I am a soprano and it's just too much of the same tone. But the viola was like singing with an alto and it was lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So. Mary Helen, you were raised with two different religions in the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what those are, because that's not what you stuck with. So I want to get a set up for where you kind of started in life. Right. So, I mean, for my whole childhood and adolescence, when anybody asked me what religion I was, I would say my mom is a Protestant minister and my dad is Catholic. Um, so, yeah, my dad is Italian, uh, Roman Catholic, goes to mass several times a week. Um, and my mom is Christian reformed. So like coming from like her Dutch background. Um, and, and she was the first woman to go to the Calvin seminary, um, the Christian reformed seminary. And, um, then finally got ordained in 2003, I want to say, um, as a Protestant minister. So religion was really prevalent in your life, but it wasn't like consistent. Like you didn't get a consistent message. I got both and I didn't really identify with, I I identified with both and neither at the same time. Like I said, like that was always my answer. I didn't have a like, oh, I am this. It was like, my mom is this and my dad is that. But then when I went to, I went to like Protestant school and then switched to Catholic school and then back to Protestant school, I was always identified by the thing from the other school, right? So like at Protestant school, I was the Catholic one and at Catholic school, I was the Protestant one. Uh-huh. <laughs> that that I'm sure made you feel very much like you fit in just everywhere you went. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like there are plenty of these crossover intersectional places that people are in life. I don't feel like I have a monopoly on it or anything, but it does. It is the same kind of comparable. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's okay to claim something as being difficult without feeling embarrassed thinking that you're claiming a monopoly on it. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's situation is very real to them. And I would get, oh, I would get so frustrated with this. I get caught up in this sometimes because I'm still a human being and I make mistakes. But for a lot of years, I've been aware of this tendency of people to say like, like to look at other people's problems and be like, well, what's the big deal? Like I totally dealt with that fine. Like why are they freaking out? And it doesn't, you can't do that. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, we have our own individual circumstances mixed with our own personalities, mixed with our own traumas. And it doesn't matter if that situation would be hard for you or not. It matters that it was hard for them. Period. End of story. Like, the end. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I don't think anyone should need to apologize for something being difficult because it's common or because someone else might think it's weird. Like, I can totally see why going into one school and being labeled as not like us Mm -hmm. and then going to the other place and still being labeled as not like us Mm -hmm. would be damaging and very painful. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because this is kind of a consistent thread throughout all of the things I think we're going to talk about that I kind of took pride in it. Like, I think I kind of liked being the one. one. Yeah. Like, well, you know, you all can do that. But like, for example, 
in like elementary school, I was at a Catholic school and you're supposed to, at that school, at least you had to shut your eyes during prayer. But I was like, well, in my mom's church, we don't shut our eyes during prayer. <laughs> like, um, I always had an excuse to be different. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So this is actually very fascinating that you said this. <laughs> I don't know. She's laughing because she knows where I'm going to go with this probably. Um, this is interesting because, so at that point you were like, I can do what I want and it's this way here and it's this way here. I'm going to be different and unique. But then you converted eventually to orthodoxy, which is very intense. Mm -hmm. And the reason that you did it, and you said this to me and I literally like everything stopped around me when you said this, I was like, Oh my God. Cause you said it, Kath, the not Kath, sorry. Orthodoxy was the answer to not having to be me. Yeah which is profound and a lot. And there's so much loaded in that statement. And I haven't asked you this before, so I'm sorry, I'm going to throw this at you right now, but what happened like between I want to be unique and I want to be different mm -hmm. to anything. I will do anything that teaches me how to not be myself. Like that's what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, like the first thing, the early thing is just saying like, I don't identify with you guys. Right. And then the Orthodox thing was again saying to both my parents, I don't identify with you guys. It's just a continually saying, well, like this isn't working. I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. Ultimately the feedback that I felt like I got from both Catholicism and Protestantism was that as much as I felt like me, that wasn't a good enough thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, yes, perhaps a strong identity at the beginning, but that was kind of the problem um, that I ended up trying to get away from. I understand that because, yeah, growing up in Mormonism, everything about me was wrong, always. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just, everything presented wrong. And so I do identify with that, but with it not being enough, right? Like you keep yeah. trying and keep trying, it's not enough. That, okay, I understand. I can see where you're going with that. So what... How did you feel wrong? Like, what made you feel like not okay, not good enough? Aside from the example we've already kind of brought up, was there was there something else that was feeding into this for you? Yeah, I mean, and I think this begins with um, adolescence and sexuality coming into the picture. I had when I, I started in um, fifth grade, I started violin and had a good friend that I looked up to who was a good violinist. And there's like, and in, there's kind of parallel intensities in this part of the story that I'm not sure exactly how they integrate. Like I haven't worked through this, but I was really into the friend who played violin so well. And I was also really into violin. And so both in middle school and also happened again in high school, there was this girl who I really admired and was spending, you know, many, many hours a day with uh, in orchestra and in practice rooms and all this stuff. And that was not okay. Um, with the first girl, her parents were coaching her, like how to spend less time with me, even though like we were kind of best friends, but it wasn't okay with her parents that she'd be spending that time with me. Actually, our friendship ended when, when her, she called me on the phone and I could hear her parents in the background scripting what she had to say to me to like break up our friendship. Um, Oh my God. And it was just clear. I mean, my parents thought we were spending too much time together too. And my mom would like, 
talk to other moms about like what boys were supposed to be cute. And then like, and when I'd talk about this one friend, she'd be like, well, what about this boy? Like, don't people, don't you like this boy? Doesn't she like that boy? <laughs> like, why, why don't you ever talk about this boy? Um, and I mean, it just, it kind of intensified from that <laughs> as far as my parents' um, disapproval in high school. Um, now. So what did was the you... question? <laughs> I digress from it too far. No, um, no, no. Was not okay. Mean, your sexuality is a huge part of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that this is, yeah, not digressing at all because it everything plays in. Um, so did you, were you aware or did you have a crush on your violin partner? Or were you just like, I have no idea why this is happening to me and figured it out later? So... I kept a journal and in my journal, I would just talk myself out of it. Like how it's impossible. I don't have a crush on this person. That is not what is going on here. And then I would like insert loose leaf where I was like, help, I'm in love with this person. I don't know what to do. And like fold it up and stick it in there. (laughs) Um, Cause I couldn't handle that being part of the actual story. But at the same time I had to get it out. So like, yes and no, I knew it. And I also was completely talking myself out of it. Um, and And how, how old were you? This would have been ages like 14 and up. Oh my goodness. Okay. So your feelings were probably very apparent to both sets of parents. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Oh my God. You poor thing. And this is your first experience is this is terrible. We must separate them. Like the fear and the shame and, but none of it was broached out loud it was all done through like subtle backdoor mechanisms that you were acutely aware of yeah oh that is um and I mean it comes to from school it's not just the parents and I don't it's interesting because I don't I don't feel like I remember a lot from my childhood or my my education like specifically I don't have a moment that I can point to but teaching in a catholic school recently has been very eye-opening because like these, this is the same context. These are the same messages. This is the same like soup that I was steeped in and getting these um, messages from throughout. And so while I don't have, I wasn't bullied, like there was nothing so overt that I would call bullying, except maybe from that girl's parents, (laughs) but, um, uh, but all, all of the, quite direct messaging to the general population about how it's just sinful, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't need to be bullied. I was, I was in tune enough to the message to just know that it wasn't okay. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. It's so true though. Like I didn't need to be bullied. Like I got it. Thank you. Like I, I totally have absorbed this information. Oh my God. It's some of my roughest not all of them, but I definitely um, have a huge chunk of trauma that comes from the parents mm-hmm. of the kids that I went to church with. Super different mm-hmm. scenario, like super different scenario. Because um, it, it that all revolved around my singing because like there was just a ridiculous amount of jealousy. And so the parents mm-hmm. would treat me horribly when like I would get an opportunity instead of their child. And like they, to be bullied by an adult is very confusing. Oh, very yeah. confusing for a child and it adds more 
for me anyway, it added more shame to the package. Like I had severe bullying from kids that were my age on the bus. And that was all about body issues and all of that, which is a whole nother story that I'm sure I'll tell at some point. But Mm. that caused like self-esteem issues, like self-hatred issues, all that. But the adults bullying, it's a different level. It's like, I am clearly behaving in a way that is unacceptable not only like for you like it's a god level right because you're absorbing it during church but now you have this society thing which I think is probably extra terrifying not that I don't have a counseling degree or anything but like as a child you're still in that mode of adults equal survival right adults equal food and clothing and shelter and adults are my ticket to all of the things this is how I get anywhere in life and so to have that added on to that I think is just very traumatic. I think it just just amplifies the wrongness that you feel. Because no matter what, when you're, I mean, maybe this isn't true across the board. When I was a kid, adults were just right. You know, there was no chance that the adult was mistreating you. It was definitely you being just wrong. Um, I'm sure some kids are more evolved than that, but that's where I was at. Uh, I think kids nowadays are, which is part yeah. part of what people freak out about, right? Is, oh, they're so disrespectful. And some of them are very disrespectful, but some of them are just very aware of the wrongness of the system and are like, you don't get to treat me like that because I'm a child. Like, this is not okay. But I think from, I mean, actually, I don't even know how old you are, but I from our age group-ish, however we fall in that, um... I, that was not the case. You're right. It was a hundred percent. Adults are right. Period. End of story. I had a moment when I was teaching a few months ago where something just so awful was said from the pulpit that afterwards I shut my classroom door and I was like, if an adult tells you that they're wrong, come find a different adult. And then I was like, I have to quit. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah. That's definitely not something that any teacher ever told me except possibly in How? the violin world. That was, that was a, a different exposure, but we don't need to talk about that today. Yeah. Well, good job. Seriously, because it is like, that's life-changing because what would you have given to have one person say to you, like, maybe the adults around you are not correct. Maybe the adults around you are treating you unfairly. It could have shifted something for you. So thank you on behalf of everyone in that classroom that day that may need that at some point in their life. And that's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing is it's like, we are all giving permission to people. We're all working to undo the damage, right? And be like, this is not okay. So this is a hug and a high five from Boise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So you're growing up, you are realizing, but refusing to realize that you're gay, right? Everyone around you is telling you that's not okay. Um, And as you get older, your sexuality gets more and more complicated. You can talk about that or not. I'm just going to open it to you in a minute. Um, But as that complication happens, that need to not be you intensifies. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you are wrong. Mm -hmm. You are bad. And I think regardless of how we get there, so many of us resonate with that so deeply. Like we all have different things assigned to why we're wrong, but we're wrong. So 
I want you to, yeah, you decide if you're going to breeze over what actually clicks you over into that or not. That's totally yeah. fine. If you want to talk about it, do it. Um, but after several events happen, I want you to then say, yeah, like where, where you went and what path you started marching down at this point. Okay. A bunch of things happened when I went to college. Um, I, I was separate from both of my mom's church and my dad's church. Um, I was living in an all girls dorm. Uh, it was my first time in a not is private, but not a religiously affiliated school. Um, and I discovered medieval studies. I took a, it was, I was doing a minor in English and, and took some, um, medieval lit classes. Um, I made some friends. I, I explored a variety of, of both Catholic and Protestant churches and didn't feel like I fit in any of them for the reasons that we've already kind of talked about. None of them really clicked for me. And then I made some friends through the teaching job that I had who were Orthodox. And it was like right at the same time as I lost the best friend that I had made that that far because I had a crush on her and that wasn't okay. And she disappeared as pretty much everybody <laughs> had done at that point. Um, it was quite a pattern. And uh, right. So these, I lost, a, lost an important friendship for that reason, met some new friends who felt like, like found family and were willing to take me to their church. That was different from all of my previous churches. And also instead of saying, um, I mean, basically the a fundamental message of both Catholicism and Protestantism are like, you are so flawed, you are pretty much just hopeless. You can kind of give up on the idea of being perfect, right? Um, but orthodoxy is like, no, actually work harder. <laughs> like just try harder. Like maybe you can even get me you won't, but you could get there. <laughs> like if you just trying, you know, like um, maybe I mean probably not but maybe yeah. okay go so ahead here, here's a very very specific detailed roadmap of how other saints have gotten there do exactly as they say and you have hope right like so that felt like a hopeful message to me and it felt like um very like there are no there's no lack of instruction um in the orthodox church of how to handle everything all the way down to the root of how you think. And so, yeah, like you, you introduced earlier, I was like, oh, I, I can just rewire. I can shake out all those, you know, notebook pages that I didn't really want in my journal. I can just get rid of them, burn them, like, um, and not have to battle with myself anymore. It felt like a relief, um, to just get a personality transplant basically. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's like, mm. it works. It does work. It, it works. You can, you can get rid of your personality. You can. Um, I followed all the rules and I, it like, it was, it's an effective thing. So you just sub in the old personality with that of the saints. Is that like what you're saying or like, what did you sub in for your personality? I mean, it's like the contemplative rule book of like how you just, instead of, allowing for your own thoughts to 
develop and flourish and proliferate and whatever, you just nip them all off right at the bud and replace them with other thoughts. If nothing else, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner over and over and over and over in your head. And that's all you think until you're ready for some other other prayers in there. Like it's a very, it it gives you all the steps. It, it's a complete package. Like I, um, it's what I, it really is. It's what I wanted at the time. I wanted to not have to have my own thoughts and not have to be attracted to anybody and not have these friendships ruined by that. And yeah, uh, I mean, it sounds like, so you had learned through experience that you were dangerous. Therefore mm -hmm. your thoughts were dangerous. Therefore let's just get rid of those. Yeah. But we can't be thoughtless because that is very difficult for a human being to pull off. So you have to sub something in. It, there has to be something to take the place of everything you're trying to delete. Right. And because the inside was scary, instead of going in, you went out, which makes total sense that that is the choice that you would make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I also felt just very supported by this. Um, group of it was a family of three people that I was like I don't have to be alone anymore I get to both have friends and not deal with all the like problematic sexuality issues um it's seemed like a good good solution yeah uh so eventually though you run away like you literally run away, right? Oh yeah. Yes. Um that those friends also disappeared. <laughs> so where okay, I think I've got my timeline. I don't know if I have my time no, my timeline is not right. So you Okay. Your marriage happened after you got back from running away, right? Okay, so yes, let's start with running away. Yeah. Generally what kind of like whatever again you want to share and then where did you go and what did you find while you were there okay so i the, this friend group these three people it was a married couple and their brother um and i thought that we were all this isn't actually true i actually reread some of my journal the other night in preparation for this conversation and realized that i have like totally romanticized this in my mind and, and it was actually chaos the whole time in my mm. memory we were like all three best friends According to my journal, it was like they were at each other's throats the whole time. Um, But the married couple ended up getting divorced. He was having an affair with someone, not me, but we were at the same church and teaching at the same school. I was like student teaching Mm -hmm. and it looked for all intents and purposes like it had been me. And so that was kind of the everybody just disappeared. I haven't heard from them basically since they told me they were getting divorced. Um, it was very sudden. Although really I should have seen it coming. Apparently, according to my journal, it was chaos, but I didn't at all. <laughs> I was just like, this is normal chaos. Let's like say Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner a lot in my head. I don't know. Um, <laughs> problem solved. Not only my problems, but everyone's problems around slowly taken care of. Oh goodness. Okay. Um, right. So then I so then I ran off to the Marshall Islands uh, after college because I'd had I had thought that this was going to be my life. I was going to hang out in Evanston forever with these people and continue to work at this school. Um, they had offered me a job to create the program I'd wanted to create right at the school. It was going to be awesome, and then all of that fell through all at once. So I went to the Marshall Islands through World Teach because it was a fully funded operation, and I got to teach English. Um, 
on an island where nobody spoke English, which was a really cool experience. Um, I ended up learning more Marshallese than I think I taught anybody English. I didn't, wasn't altogether that committed because I had moral scruples with the idea of actually trying to westernize a wow. place like that, um, which is its own whole. Yes, that is an entire thing. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So while you were there, you started reading something that was pretty significant to you, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I had started it before I went there, but, um, and I'm not sure where I even got this book. So uh, that was actually why I started reading my journal the other night. Cause you asked me, where did I get this book? And I was like, yeah. well, clearly I said, it, I wrote it in my journal. It, it's nowhere in my journal. I think I might've gotten it from a monastery. They took me to that would make sense narratively. So um, the, the friends took you to, mm-hmm. okay. So you're, that's my best and you found this book called what? The Philokalia. And I think we might have to, you have some really important things um, that are talked about in regards to your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think understanding what you were absorbing from the Philokalia would play into that. So let's start with the passages of this book that we had kind of discussed. And then if we have time to get back around to the marriage, we will. And if not, I think we might have to have you come on for another episode. And because the conversation around lack of consent, what you were taught, like this is a very significant conversation and I don't want to miss out on it, but are you good with, are you good with actually us starting to go over what you were absorbing from this book? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Now you were told not to read this book, right? Or... Uh, so this book is, um, a bunch, it's monastic texts. It was written for monks. This volume of it was written between the fourth and eighth centuries. It was written originally for monks. It is considered foundational to the present day Orthodox church. And there is a lot of slippage in the Orthodox church between monastic life and lay life. And that is intentional. And it's, um, kind of fundamental to, what distinguishes orthodoxy from like all of this stuff I've been describing is, is a basically a lay person adopting a lot of monastic practices. Right. Mm-hmm. That being said, of course, then there's variation within people in the Orthodox church of like how seriously they take it. Well, I went most seriously. So yes, there were people who told me like, you're just like a girl. Like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. That's too intense. Um, you're not to mention just a brand new convert. Um, save that, you know? Uh, and I didn't because it was the program basically offering me what I was hoping for. Um, the original rule book with all of the instructions in it, um, as opposed to just kind of trying to absorb it through church and community. I wanted the rule book. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, cause you, I mean, you must've been pretty desperate at this point, like for a rule book, like pretty mm -hmm. desperate of like, please just fix me, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. Am I, reaching on that or would that like what was your state when you went to the Marshall Islands with this book yeah I mean it drove me at the time kind of crazy that on and I I mean I'm putting my current perspective back so I don't know how accurate this is to my feelings at the time but when I look back I definitely felt like both Catholicism and Protestantism had promised like do these things and then you'll get all the like love and acceptance and goodness and like, you'll be good. Right. Yeah. But I did the things 
And I still didn't feel those that way. And so I was like, well, clearly I just need to do more things. Give me more things to do. So then I can have a better shot at the being good. Um, So yes, I desperately, desperately, desperately just wanted to be good. I wanted to be good so bad. Um, I would like lay under the dome that has like the mosaic of Christ in it in the Orthodox church. Like I would go up to the choir loft and lay under it and just sob. And that felt very cathartic and good. It felt like I was doing the right thing because I had like all this compunction in my heart. And I was just like, I felt totally like vulnerable and like a mess. And that's the goal, right? Like to just be, um, to be aware of what a mess you are. I was, I, I knew that I was garbage. I know. So it's, it's funny. Cause I can guarantee you there are people listening that was like, what do you mean? That's the point. Why is that the point? But that's exactly what you learned from what we're going to talk about right now is like, this is exactly how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to feel like shit all of the time. Otherwise you're because doing you are it shit. The question is, are you in tune enough to know it? Right. So like that felt just very self-aware, which was great. Okay, wait, <laughs> oh, right. so, I'm interrupting it, a little bit. Um, it, no, it, so yeah, I cut out the one thing you said. So I was trying to piece together what you said, but what you said yeah. is we are shit. The point is being self-aware enough to know that therefore now you are in God's good graces. Now you can you are, Yeah, now you can't because you can't be good until you know that you're bad. Yeah. And everyone's inherently bad. You know it and you feel it. Then you have a shot at being good. Yes, this is... Okay. Okay. And this is, I think I need to see if there's um, some religions that don't teach a need to be saved. Because again, I know there are people who are like, well, I wasn't taught that I was shit. And I'm like, well, I think there's varying degrees of this, right? Like you have what we're going to talk about with you, where it is an extreme view of like, everything about me needs replaced everything about me is inherently wrong. I must suffer for it. I must, you know, pay penance and like all of these things. And then there are, but there are people who still feel like without Christ, let's say, or whatever, you know, um, deity that you are worshiping in, in your faith without this, I am now lost, right? Like that is still in a hierarchical sense. Like, sure, maybe you aren't identifying as shit, but you are identifying as I am broken and cannot be repaired without the help of insert the answer, right? So I just want to clarify that for people who are like, well, I don't, I never felt like that. Okay, to maybe not to that degree, yes. But there is still some of it there. And that some is important because it does affect the choices that we make. It affects how we feel about ourselves. It affects you know, how high we can pull all, pull our worthiness level up to. It affects our ability to make choices and to trust those choices as being a worthy and good thing. So like, this is a very, very, very significant topic that we're about to move in it. And I just want to set that up um, so that people can, instead of sitting here and being like, well, I never felt like that, that in some of these things we're going to read that maybe like I mentioned in the beginning, like what did your reverberation of these words look like, right? Like maybe you didn't take in the full force of this, but there was something in here that you were probably touched by that you were like, oh yes, that generalized concept came through really, really clear. So, okay. So what I'm going to do 
you sent me over and this actually it was funny because this wasn't supposed to be for the podcast like we were just talking and you sent me over this huge email um that was amazing because you had put quotes from um Philokalia in and then your thoughts about like this is what this made me think and this is this is what happened. And it was so eye-opening for me to realize where some of the things that we had been talking about were coming from and like how hardwired they were because of these things, especially I would assume you took all of this in, in a really vulnerable place in your life. Like you Mm -hmm. were at the height of desperation to just be better. So you fully incorporated all of this. Like Mm -hmm. there was no, to my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong. There was no filtering. Like there was no like, I will, I'll take half of that. But like the other half, I'm not sure. Like you just pulled it all in. Yeah. I was reading this because I wanted to. Nobody had made me. It wasn't an assignment. Um, I didn't, I don't even remember where I got it. It wasn't because an authority told me to read it. I picked it up and I wanted to read it. I, my memories of reading it are from lying in the bath. If you want to talk about being vulnerable Um, and like just annotating it like crazy, like straight from like, this is, this is the truth. This is the way to be good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quote one. And then I want you to just talk about, yeah, what were your feelings around it? What did this mean to you? How did you take this? So uh, quote, pray first for the purification of the passions. Secondly, for deliverance from ignorance and forgetfulness. And thirdly, for deliverance from all temptation, trial, and dereliction. Dereliction. Oh, God, why do I try? Listen, guys, I got a pronunciation guide from her before. I checked all of these words. And then, yeah, this is just going to be what this podcast is, is me like repeating a word four times and hoping one of them landed properly. All right. (laughs) Go go ahead, Mary Helen, now that I've derailed us completely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think the key part of that to me, at least the reason I shared it was the, the be- at the beginning where it says pray first for the purification of the passions and like uh, in other quotes, um, it's also talk about the passions and it's just clear that um, the way that this book and this kind of um, system defines passions is only a Venn diagram with the way that we do um, like just in modern society, which is to say like, I think we would normally say like passions are, are what give the spice to life. Like that's what you're really excited about and what your purpose is even. And like, um, uh, it's a very, usually a very positive thing to be passionate about something. Um, whereas in this context, the passions are mostly aligned with vices. Like most of the passions are also vices. Um, and most of them are the carnal passions. Um, uh, which is essentially any, any information that you're getting from your body. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. and you're praying here first, primarily the, the biggest priority is to be purified, to get rid of any emotional information you're getting from your body. Um, so this would be anything sexual, and I mean, does it extend to like enjoying food and like, or is it just sexuality is really the hit? Totally enjoying food. Yeah. I mean, one of these, one of these somewhere also includes sensual pleasure, right? Yeah. Um, as something you're supposed to hate. So uh, anything, is- anytime you're not miserable, you're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Except you're not supposed to be miserable either. That's also a passion. Um, oh, good heavens. Okay. So, right. Gloominess is a is a passion listed. I, um, I've i never labeled gloominess as a mm-hmm. passion. That is very sad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Basically, just any extreme emotions or, or feelings or whatever. You're, you're trying to be an empty vessel here, not full of personality right um well, this is but, interesting because in spirituality there is this this teaching of um neutrality like being in a place of neutrality mm-hmm. um and surrender and i can see where it would quickly go sideways and start to move into what you're explaining right now which is like emptiness mm-hmm. but the actual purpose behind like what i've been learning and experiencing is to be in a place of joy and love and like excitement for life and just enjoying what comes and what is there mm-hmm. instead of getting lost in, you know, what happened last week and what's going to happen in seven days. Like, which I think every degree of this, anytime you talk about humans trying to interpret anything that would be considered from God or from like a source energy or whatever, uh, it comes through a filter, like mm-hmm. a human filter. And so then it goes sideways in all sorts of different ways. But like this point, I just want to clarify that this is what you took from this um, or what is taught clearly is emptiness, like no extreme of any sort, like you are just in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that an Orthodox person or a monk or something would disagree with what you just said about being the goal like love and peace and all these things those are the goal but the difference is to get to the goal you have to damn everything that is you because you are essentially Mm. not love and peace and all of those things whereas in what you're describing you essentially are love and peace and all of those things Mm. right Mm, I love, oh my God. Yes. That is, that is exactly right. And that is such a beautiful, like understanding that you just clarified. Like that's perfect. But it's super, I mean, I'm, I'm arriving at that, I hope, but it's, it's very unclear because there is a ton of elision between these. And I, I like read Eckhart Tolle, Tolle, now I don't know how to pronounce his name. Okay. Um, and it was so, it reminded me so much of this. I was super uncomfortable and I understand that they're like, but and, and like Eastern thought in general, I, I respect it, but it's the verbiage, like no matter how great the core of it is, there's so much yeah. commonality in terms of the way that it's expressed and whatever. It, I'm not in a place yet where I yes. can, where I can sort that out. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense to me. And yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. In my opinion, the difference is the, the belief system the one belief system is coming from I am inherently worthy always. And the other one is coming from I am inherently unworthy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. And that changes everything. Like, and it's funny. I mean, so part of the reason I converted to orthodoxy is because orthodoxy does not have the doctrine of original sin the way that Catholicism and all of the Protestant denominations do. Wait, what? It doesn't? I don't know. No. I don't. Which I, I love it. about orthodox. I still appreciate that about orthodoxy. So, oh my god, I didn't know that. There is more overlap. There is these are Venn diagrams. There is more overlap actually between some of the Eastern spirituality that I think that 
you would be comfortable with. Maybe someday I will be comfortable with, who knows? And Eastern Christianity. Um, so where, so where, okay, sorry, I am fascinated by this. Um, I know I had no idea that Orthodoxy did not have original sin because that's yeah. so, I mean, that's an inescapable so part of like right. every shoot off, right? Yeah. So where is the unworthiness coming from? Um, we all sin all the time. Just from the moment we come out of the womb, we're okay, right? Once we come out of the womb, then we're sinning constantly. But we don't come out hopeless. That's why it's, I was saying before, like, you can try. Like, you're not going to, but you can try. Oh, my God. Hope. Okay. Okay. Hope. So that's why there's hope. Because for yeah. you and the other religions, it mm -hmm. was like you're never screwed in the start. Right. But this yep. was like, there was a one second window there yep. where you were not hopeless. And maybe, maybe, maybe we can get back there. Oh my God. That's fascinating. And in fact, like after confession, there's kind of a moment. Baptism, originally in the, the early church, baptism was the moment where you are clear of all sins. Yes. And so like St. John Chrysostom, I, I believe, got baptized on his death, he's, he wrote the um, liturgy that the Orthodox Church uses, got baptized on his deathbed because, like, that's how you... Well, that makes total um, sense. Yeah. Why, so why does Orthodoxy not baptize you later in life? On your deathbed. I mean, like, you can study this forever, right? This it's, so it's so it's There's so much there. And this is, I mean, this is part of why it's hard for me to just... Uh, and I've studied this a lot and asked these questions all along the way. And so it's hard for me to just like say very clearly, like, here's yeah. all the problems here. Like there, yeah. there are priests, I told you, priest voices in my head saying, no, we wouldn't say that because it's better than that. Because this, like there are, there are valid sounding arguments to almost anything right. I could accuse it of. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> why would people stay if there weren't valid sounding arguments? Those are really important, Right. Oh my God. So fat. I remember. So Mormons baptize at age eight. We believe that's the age of accountability when you are mature enough to make choices. So anything before age eight is not considered a sin because you aren't at the age of accountability. It's just like learning or whatever. But I were so clearly like getting baptized and I was so happy because I was clean because that's pushed from oh my god from the beginning right like when you get baptized like you're clean like there's songs about it like I mean it's a big thing and I was so happy and on the way home my brother was like purposefully just pestering the shit out of me so that I would yell at him and I finally snapped and yelled at him and then I started bawling my eyes out because I was dirty oh again god. and I was not clean any longer like yeah, it was like, I remember so clearly wow. being like, well, like there, I had a chance. And I think I really thought that I could just be perfect forever. I think that was my plan, right? Yeah. Like, I am now clean. I'll never make a mistake again. It's going to be fine. That makes total <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> I know. I thought it would. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay. Oh, my God. We have so much. Oh, wait. I want to move on. But you also said one yeah. thing to me about this passion so that I want you to explain so yeah. you said that in orthodoxy, being passionate is evidence of demons. Yeah. What is that? How does that present? Like how far, how passionate can you get about anything before it's a demon? This is, oh. this is not a concept that I grew up with. So this is super mm -hmm. interesting to me. 
this i i was like scribbling some notes on this and i realized i arrived at my dissertation <laughs> ah. so we i could talk about this for a really long time because basically there's a very strong division between spiritual mind masculine and physical demonic and bodily animal so there's your passions are bestial that's your animal part of you um which okay i have to ask because you assigned the spiritual godly part masculine yep. is the animal part feminine that's my dissertation okay all right all right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah there's that's a lot scary. of elision it's not quite that it's not quite that explicit you have to look at the um implications behind a lot of like the the few saints lives about women that um uh, that I was working with at least. Um, uh, but yes, there is a, t- there are a lot more animals most of the time in female saints lives and the language being used, any kind of hunter prey analogies, the woman is the prey. Like there's a ton of, um, slippage between women and animals mm-hmm. for this reason of being bodily, right? The way that a man gets to be holy is by, being very spiritual and heady and you know the way that a woman gets to be holy is by like being sexualized but not acting on it right female martyrs their bodies get tortured and killed because they're so committed to their virginity because they're so beautiful that everybody wants them but they're not going to do it right so it's all very bodily that's how a woman gets to be a saint most of the time there are exceptions um okay oh my god Okay, and I'm going to say this, and then we can't spend a lot of time on it. And no, I, I'm sorry. No, no, don't <laughs> apologize. I'm like, we have 14 episodes we need to do. But, like, here's here to me, my mind immediately goes to, like, okay, yes, so we're going to be so spiritual. We have to protect our virginity, and we're willing to protect with our lives because that's how we become a saint. However, um, because you're not a saint, you're going to get married, and you need to give your husband sex anytime he wants it mm-hmm. for any reason. And that's your worth. Your worth now is from sex, even though we're going to teach you that your worth is from not having sex. That is messed up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. 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 So but the, the thing about, I just wanted to clarify that there's another quote that you have here. So can I jump ahead a little bit? Yeah. That yeah. we're going to talk about that says, while all else produces thoughts, ideas, and speculations in the intellect through changes in the body, the Lord does the opposite. So the idea is information that you get from your body, so your feelings and your senses, are demonic because if they were from the Lord, they'd be coming only through your head, right? Is that division clear? Yes, it is. It just, I get tangled up because we've talked about how, like, there's another quote we're going to talk about where it's like, don't trust your mind. And so I'm like, yeah. how are you like, <laughs> What are we, what are they supposed no. to do? But I, no, just, I just wanted to 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 return to that because I was saying like there's a really clear division between like like pure spiritual mind masculinity and like physical feeling emotional animal um passions female passions. <sighs> like okay. that all gets lumped I in love, on one side versus the other side. I love I love this conversation. I love the honesty and I want you to keep getting like as like clear into the doctrine. I am going to say that I am like so struggling over here with the, the f- just, how do I, how do I say this? So it's, it, mm, the demonization of women started long, long time ago. Like 
when this idea of a monotheist, the, why can I not say words monotheistic? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. God, like the one as opposed to the, you know, the pantheon of gods, when that switch was made, um, and that bear, that male one God came into play, like women became very demonized. Women became property. We had to burn witches. We had, you know, all the whole nine yards and the Catholic church from my reading, feel free to correct anything mm -hmm. um, that you don't agree with, but from my reading, like that definitely continued and was perpetuated by the early Catholic church. Um, so the fact that this teaching of women being directly related to an animal Mm -hmm. as opposed to this highly elevated masculine thing it just makes me super sick because like does the idea that men hold authority over women carry through to like what I was raised with the Mormon church hundred percent they like to say oh no like we're super it's not like if you look at how the doctrine is laid out and how you know things are decided like the men hold authority and the women, get to quote, like hold authority with them, meaning I'm married to you. So like, I'll, you know, I get to tag along, but this teaching of like men are spiritual and women are animalistic demons, less clear in the Mormon church. And so like, this is so blatant that I'm like, Oh my God. I am laying it out in a way that I don't know that anyone would say directly. This is gleaned from seven years of like reading stuff and putting stuff together. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I mean, you're point. saying that, and I don't think anyone in the Orthodox church or the Catholic church or the Protestant church would ever, ever be like, oh yeah, what Mary Helen's saying. That's totally what I believe. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not really right. echoing anything I think that's carried into the present verbatim, nor even maybe what any individual monk who was participating in this, this tradition would have outright said but this is very much the message that you get from reading a mm -hmm. decade worth of material right? from this time period. Again, I'm talking like fourth yeah. to eighth centuries here. Yeah. And I think it's important to state that. I think it's really important that we establish, right? That like, yeah. if you go to your, you know, Orthodox neighbor, he's going to be like, uh, no, like yeah. it's not at all. Right. But I, I see the same problem in, in the Mormon church that people argue constantly that's not what we believe. That's not what we, yes, it is. Like mm -hmm. you just haven't read, right? Mm -hmm. These, this actual foundational material that states what you actually believe because people realize that this isn't good. Mm -hmm. Like people realize like, oh, that is mm, like, mm -hmm. that's kind of icky and no one's going to just be okay with this. So we're going to change how we word it. And it kind of continues yeah. to morph out from there for better or for worse. Um, but we're maintaining the foundation right under the scenes, behind the scenes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't dig it out and restart. Like we right. just kept it there and we're not going to, we ain't going to talk about Bruno. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's what we're not going to do. <laughs> My daughter is constantly like, but why can't we talk about Bruno? We gotta talk about Bruno. We do. It really bothers her. Yes. This is why we're doing this. We're we're talking about Bruno. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> now it's in my head. Um. <laughs> yes, but I yes, I love all of this, and I I appreciate you clarifying that. Um, and also. I think it needs to stand that, yeah, but it's there. Like mm -hmm. it's still there. And what's really 
interesting is if if people can open their minds to realizing that that foundation is there, what they will see, I think, is two things. One, they will have a greater understanding for people like you who have gone in and been like, wait a second, this is what it is. But you were in a place where you didn't say, wait a second, you were like, give it all to me, right? Like, I'm going to incorporate this. But also, you will be able to see little tendrils of that foundation just woven through everywhere. And it will be subtle. And the words that they're saying won't say the thing, but the implications will be there. Like the understandings will be absorbed, even though, quote, we never said that, right? Like we know that's not what we said, but that's what we meant. I gave an example in one of the other podcasts I've recorded. So I feel a little bad re-saying it, but you were not there. Um, my, when we left, I was talking to my daughter about some of the reasons why we decided to leave. And one of the things I said was this idea that is very prevalent in Mormonism, which they will argue till their dying breath. And that is that we think we're better than other people and that other people are dangerous. So like, we don't want our kids to date non-Mormons. We don't want our kids to have friends who are non-Mormon because we have bad influences coming in here. And they will say that's not bad because we have to protect our children. That's our job, blah, blah, blah. It's like a never-ending circle of arguments. But it's there. And it's not okay because it's a belief system that I, as a Mormon, am a superior person and have better values than anyone else of any other religion, which is just not true to start. Um, And so one of the things that they would say, and this was a super common thing. I heard it all the time. um, I think I... I don't know if I ever said it, but I thought it. Damn sure I thought it. And that is, you know, telling kids like, make sure you find some nice Mormon friends this year. Hmm. And yeah, I love, see, those of you who are not on video, the eyebrows went up in the, oh yeah, see, my daughter was clueless. Like she didn't understand why this was a problem. Hmm. And I was like, okay, let me rephrase this for you, honey. What would you think if I said, make sure to find some nice white friends this year? Hmm. And her eyes got huge. And I was like, right, because what did I say? She's like, don't find black friends. I'm like, right. It's the same thing. I didn't say to you, non-Mormons are bad, but I absolutely said to you, non-Mormons are bad. Yeah. Like it's all, it's the words under the words, under the words, under the words that we are absorbing without even realizing. So yeah, when that foundation is there, we are absorbing it without even realizing that we're absorbing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to stop pontificating. Also another word I love to throw in normal conversation. Okay. Next quote. From this fabulous, fabulous monk book. Okay. I don't think this is the one we just read. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Conscious awareness of prayer is concentration accompanied by reverence, compunction, and distress of soul as it confesses its sins with inward sorrow. Now, for those of you who are not monk majors, um, actually I did have to look up compunction cause that's not a word I use very ever. Um, it's got a whole variety of, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, no, I have, there's a lot of you, you just generally use vocabulary that I'm like, ah, I need to look that up when we get off this conversation. I've been able to deduce what you meant by the, like everything around it, but I need to look mm-hmm. that up. So compunction, where did it go? Okay. So Devery, slow down. Compunction is a feeling of guilt or moral scruple that prevents or follows the doing of something bad. 
Okay. So the example they gave, which is funny, spend the money without compunction. And it made me laugh that they gave the good example of like, don't have compunction instead of like what it actually is. Okay. So what, what did this, this, I feel like ties very much into the example you talked about where you were laying beneath Mm -hmm. the, um, yeah, exactly. The mosaic. Yeah. No, that's exactly, exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in early so monastic, your prayers looked like what? Like how? How did this go for you? Um, I mean, first of all, what this what this basically I get from this quote is, if you have if you are feeling compunction, which we can return to, and distress of soul and inward sorrow, that is good prayer, and the goal is pray all the time. So basically. If you're going to be holy, 100% of the time, you should be feeling compunction, asterisk, distress of soul, and inward sorrow, right? All the time. Um, all the time. 100% of the time. And that's what makes a saint, actually, is like if you look at early monastic texts and mm-hmm. lives of saints, they are crying. Like my favorite example, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with Shenouda, I think it's supposed to be, of Atripa. Um, he's an Egyptian third century, I think. Um saint except that even he he was actually um deemed a heretic because he was too extreme i love the too extreme that's that's so my thing anyway but he i I would never have guessed that go ahead (laughs) yeah he's described by his his life is written by his disciple and his disciple described his face as looking like a board with two black holes in it his face looked like a, a or a wall maybe, but that had had two holes drilled into it. And his eyes were just like black holes. And this is because he was crying all the time. So black eyes from crying all the time. And the, the like either you're crying for your own sins. And when you run, when you actually, because that's how you can like repent of your own sins and get rid of your own sins is by crying for them, having compunction. Um. And then if you are actually able to do this enough that you compensate for all of your own sins, then the monk, what makes a monk different from a lay person is a monk continues to do that then for the rest of the world. And then they're compensating for the sins of everybody. Um, And there's like endless work to be done in that regard, right? There's, um, that goes on forever. So like the, the compunction thing, I have the image in my mind of just the more you cry, the more you're compensating for your own wrongs, the more like present that is at the forefront of your mind, that's holiness. Um, and I felt this very strongly. It feels like a thing when you're lying on the, like, so, I don't know. It, it resonated. It felt right. This is why I'm a little skeptical of my own, like, no, um, jumping on board anything anybody says to me about spirituality yeah. now is I'm like, that felt right too. It really right. did. Right. You know, first of all, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you're getting a little embarrassed over how you responded to these. And I don't think that you should at all. Like, I, I hope that we set up properly in the beginning of why you were completely primed to mm-hmm. pull this all in. It's like, yes, God, please fix me. Like whatever. Um, and of course, I'm not actually feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling like I understand, <laughs> like it's helpful to actually go back and be like, yeah, this made sense to me. And it, Good. I can kind of still make it make sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. maybe twisted, but yeah. a way that yeah. I can express. Um, 
you can make anything make sense. Like anything can make sense with the right setup and the right like place in life. It just, it just is. Um, and I don't think skepticism is, is a bad thing. Like I really, I think it's good to question your own responses and your own thoughts. And then the, the only, the hard thing is, is getting to a place where you learn how to trust it again, right? How to trust you. Mm -hmm. And that is a tricky, tricky walk. And that's the one that you're on right now is like, how do I, how do I not be terrified of everything? But so I have to ask a question when, so pray all the time, feel bad all the time, because that's how you pray. Maybe this is a maybe this is a dumb question, but would you feel bad when you felt joy? Like, was that a passion? Therefore, you had sinned, or is this one of those things that just didn't translate perfectly well into like living real right. life? That's a really good question. I don't think so. I don't remember feeling particular guilt over feeling joy. I think because mostly at the time I was when I was happy, it was with these other Orthodox people. Mm -hmm. um, so you were all that's interesting. feeling enough compunction that it was then okay to feel a little bit of joy and be a normal well, person. But, but the other, I mean, the other part of it is that if you are, if you're doing it right, you are kind of like taking off your you hat and putting on your holy God intellect. Mm -hmm. And then that's the thing that can feel the joy and peace and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So maybe oh. we all together had succeeded at like doing the transplant, you know, I don't know. Oh. That's my one minute consideration of it. Yeah, no, no, that actually makes, that makes sense. So the compunction and the sorrow was leading toward a goal and the goal was adopting this perfect way of being that was God, that mm -hmm. was God-like, God-approved, whatever word works best there, you can tell me. Um, and at that point, you could relax into love and joy because that was still taught as being God, right? Okay. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like, on a different level, that was what I was seeking from a religion, like it's the love and joy and peace and community. And so like having that in this community was reinforcement of the rightness of it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't. No, it does because you were, you had a goal and you were meeting all of the goals. So your goal was community and to feel better. Right. So then that's community, love, peace, all of the things, but also mm -hmm. fix me because I'm broken so personality transplant, like, there we go. You've hit. Yeah. yeah, no, it makes total complete sense to me how those would make work for you. Absolutely. Um, okay. Next quote. Would it, can we go to the one that talks about that? Um, that says whatever you want, you go, which one's next? Well, I'm just looking at the one that says until you have eradicated evil, do not obey your heart. Okay. Yes. From the Philokalia, the line was, until you've eradicated evil, do not obey your heart, for it will seek more of what it already contains within itself. So I feel like this relates directly to what we were just saying, because I felt like it was a very hopeful message. Like, eventually, you can get to a place where your heart is so cool that it, like, perpetuates its mm -hmm. goodness. You know, like, there's a, there's a destination of goodness until you get to that place, 
don't trust your heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm. Until you've eradicated evil, don't trust your heart. No. And so now I'm like, and if you just cut straight to today, I'm sitting in a whole like stew pod of evil trying to trust my heart what (laughs) okay okay so I'm just gonna break this down for people who have not been privy to our conversations that we've been having so you have not quite mm, let me ask you so you're current are you currently trying to set aside the belief system that you are inherently evil or is that something you're choosing to move forward with both, like your answer is fine. No, I'm trying to, I'm trying to set that aside, and I'm being a little bit flippant here. The way that I just worded that, um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm putting this from a perspective. This is what I would have said at the time when I was taking this quote to heart about current, right. my current lifestyle. Yes. Okay. So, so you're sitting in this place, like, so current today, like, not like hypothesizing or anything, because um, yeah. I think this is important because this is again, like we've had so many, like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this moments in this podcast. But again, this is also why I'm doing it is because when we say things like this is where I'm sitting at right now, even if it's a painful thing to admit, or you're like, I don't even know, someone is going to be like me too. Oh my God. I am not the only person who is struggling with this and who is feeling like this and like it's it's that sense of belonging and rightness just by association with another human being is so so powerful. So I want to try to break down, or I can let you, I can let you tell your own story. That's a novel idea. Why would I do that? Um, but so you know where I'm going here. <laughs> right now, you've been you've held on to this belief of I'm inherently bad, mm-hmm. but if I do enough, the inherent goodness in my heart will come out. And that's the goal, right? That's where I want to get. And so now as you've walked away from this for reasons that we have unfortunately we, not gotten to. Can we to, but amend like, inherent goodness though? It's not inherent. Yeah. It's earth. It's like a a gift from God, right? Like you said, because what you said is yeah. you're, you're rewinding to the yes. orthodox mindset, right? Or like right, right, my right. own orthodox mindset. Yes. Of like, if I follow this I will arrive at a place where the like kind of gifted goodness where I can adopt a goodness for my heart right as opposed to you said inherent goodness or are we not talking about the same thing no 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 you're right this was a good this was a good correction and this is a difference between how I was raised and how you were raised that I didn't Mm -hmm. catch when it came out of my mouth because my brain immediately went to how I was raised which was um like, although we're lost in sin, like before we arrived here, like we were inherently good, mm-hmm. kind of, there's some caveats there, but like generally, <laughs> um, and, but, but yours is not that at all. Yours is, I came out kind of neutral mm-hmm. and then sinned, mm-hmm. but if I work hard enough, then God will gift me that, which I do not already have. Mm-hmm. And that is goodness in my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you find yourself sitting in a place of trying to believe that there is goodness in your heart because you aren't currently doing all the right things to earn it. Correct. Is that correct? But you're fighting against this mindset of, am I bad or am I good? Am I like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing, I'm not doing anything I'm supposed to, therefore I must be a bad person. So how can I trust my heart? Because I can't possibly have been gifted that from God. Mm Mm-hmm. 
because I'm not doing anything. Is that where you're kind of standing in right now? Yeah, essentially. Like there's a, there's been such a, an emphasis on like, um, the good heart being pure. We talked about this a little bit too. We don't need to get into it a lot, but purity and the place that I'm at and my, the values that I'm mm-hmm. leaning mm-hmm. toward slash embodying mm-hmm. now are different from like a purity, a pure heart, the immaculate heart mm-hmm. kind of value system. So you're picking up a value system that you for years had not only hid from, so like claiming your sexuality, for example, would be on that list. Mm-hmm. So you you tried to avoid it. You tried to out good yourself right like if we could just be good enough then that won't be a problem and now you're turning now you're finding yourself in the most ridiculous situation of trying to be like hey i'm gonna accept all of this while all of these programs are still running in my head uh this is bad this is wrong i can't have a pure heart therefore i can't trust my heart because i'm not feeling bad about these choices that i'm making but then i am feeling bad because they're the wrong choices like it's just this circle of yeah go ahead sorry please please get excited this is your story I'm trying to just um put it in a nutshell for the listeners so that they really understand like where you're sitting right now so go ahead yeah yeah well and the thing I was just going to add is that it's not it's choices and it's um embracing my sexuality and and stuff like that but it's also um accepting feedback from my body like it's very much tied to the thing we started with with like physicality and passions and emotions being bad Mm -hmm. like it's so simple as if I'm gonna validate my emotions I'm not doing the pure heart thing like it's Mm -hmm. if I'm gonna like um respond to feedback from my body uh I'm I'm digressing from the path that I had been on mm-hmm. um yeah and this is what and, right so it's not just like am I gonna have sex with somebody yeah. it's like every moment you know of yes. every day absolutely and thank you for clarifying that because again you are not the only person that feels like this anytime we've been trained or trained ourselves as the case may be to be there's a mm, word that I'm not gonna be able to find here because it's like so far out, like I can't find it. Um, but just incredibly vigilant, the constant vigilance in mm, you have trained yourself to only see the bad, right? So like throughout all of the day, mm-hmm. I made a mistake, I made a mistake, I made a mistake. So you're br- you are so hardwired for that way, and now you're trying to run a new set of programs with the old set of programs still running, which is enough to make you feel like your head is going to explode at any second. Yeah. Yeah. So that's called watchfulness, at least like, I know that's probably not the highfalutin word you are going for, but like watchfulness is like such a fundamental key thing that you're always like filtering and like judging every thought. And one of these quotes, I don't even know where it went. The idea was from one of these quotes, like even if you notice, even if you're looking for passions, like you're hunting for them and you're not finding any, like just keep hunting so that you're ready when they do pop up. Right. (laughs) And this is the thing I might've told you this story. I found myself, I find myself 
just actively like searching in all the dark corners of my mind all the time, like scared, like, is this going to pop out? Is that going to pop out? And like, at one point, my like brain or something in me like screamed in my head and was like, stop, this is hurting me. Like the constant, like, like constant vigilance and state of fear of myself. Yeah. At every minute. Yeah. Is hurting the person, not just like, yeah, the person participating in this and, and valuing this behavior. It's, it's detrimental profoundly detrimental at every moment and that is something that my own self screamed at me very directly and I can't not listen to that you know yes um I I do know and I think that's why like when we've talked um I keep telling you like no go in right like go in and that's exactly why is because when your own self starts talking to you when your own self is like stop it right Mm -hmm. it's quite undeniable like the spinning stops the the I don't know I don't know I don't know like that stops because it's an inner knowing that that does not falter because it comes from within and so I love that not only that you protected yourself right of like please like you are hurting yourself like I love that you that you did that but also that you were able to perceive that understand it and hold that as truth like that Mm. is such a beautiful step because that also opened you up to a rec like recognizing the damage of that constant state of fear and that constant state of self-abuse like if you look at any other person like if we turn our attention outside of us we very much understand that nobody can do anything in a state of fear right? No choice is good. Like nothing good is coming from a state of fear. It's called like we've labeled it. We have complete explanations for why like flight and fear, flighter. My God, why are words so hard? Fight or flight. Why? You know, we have entire books written on, on this and the, the necessity of coming to this place of calmness. And yet we do have a great deal of religions which are creating it constantly mm-hmm. in us. And we become fearful, not of the outside world, but we become fearful of ourselves, which is inescapable. We can't like move from Alabama to Idaho where there's no giant mosquitoes and snakes. Like seriously, Idaho's bugs are much smaller than the South. You don't understand <laughs> They grow them big out there. Like, I don't, they are scary. Um, You can't just move. Sorry, Mary Helen looked at me like. Did you do that? Did you move from Alabama to Idaho? No, but I have visited the South and been absolutely baffled by the size of basically everything. Like, ants are six times the size. I'm not making that up. Like, we make little baby bugs in Idaho because our winters are cold enough that they don't, yeah, that kills them off. So yeah, no, South bugs, South rain too. Our raindrops in Idaho are little baby raindrops. You go to the South, it's like someone dumped a bucket on your head. I, it is baffling to me. Okay. Sorry. I got completely derailed from this very delightful thing. Um, But like, you can't, you can't escape yourself. Like there is no running. Like the only way to fix it is to stop and turn around 
and face it and make changes, which is where you're at right now. But it is the scariest, most painful, most brave thing that we could possibly do. But it doesn't feel brave because we're so miserable while we're trying to do it. Yeah. So you are like, I know that you don't feel brave or awesome or amazing, but like you are doing what a lot of people are not capable of doing at this point in their life. It's not that that's a bad thing. I'm not, I don't want to shame someone's choices of staying where they're at. There's, there's nothing wrong with us deciding where we want to be. Um, but there are people who don't make choices like you've made because it is too big and it is too hard and it is too scary and you are just sitting in it. Can I share your um, mirror thing? Because I think it is applicable to everything that I just was talking about. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So I think that Mary Helen thought I was being ridiculous by how excited I was about this thing that she did, but I love it and it's amazing. So as you can imagine from just listening to us talk, like, and Mary Helen, if I say anything, I know you will just like jump in and be like, that is not how I feel. Please stop. Okay. Um, but she's struggled with not being happy sometimes, right? Or being lost in fear and self-abuse because of what we've just discussed And I can't remember what I did. Did I send you a message that you liked or something? I think. Yes. Yeah. So like I I sent her a message. You've sent so many. I don't know what it was, but. Yeah. And it just made her feel better, which. Awesome. But um, she sends me this picture back and it took me a while because the reflection threw me. It took me a while. I was like, what am I looking at for a second? So she took this mirror and she painted it in just this beautiful random not random what's the word I'm looking for in art um I just poured paint on it yeah well what's the <laughs> I don't know what there's a terminology called. of like oh god what is it there it's um come on Mary Helen there is a word oh, for no artists who just poured I, I don't paint even know what you're in. oh my god you're... this is so embarrassing anyway so she poured paint all over it so it's it's very random and everyone listening is screaming the word at me right now I know that that's what's happening. <laughs> like they're like this is what it is anyway so it's so she covers the mirror completely in paint and it's bright and it's delightful. And then anytime something made her happy or she felt what hopeful joy, like what emotions do you go to the mirror with? Um, love basically was what I was going for. Like anything that makes my heart feel bigger, literally oh. like in my chest. Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> like, it's, a feeling. it's a very distinct thing. Oh, this is so anything that makes your heart expand, which honestly is such an indicator of truth. Like I know we've talked about intuition so much, not on this podcast, but like that is such a huge part of intuition is, is that heart space expanding. Um, so anyway, so whenever she feels her heart expanding, she goes over this mirror and she takes a knife and she scratches off some of the paint in the shape of a heart. And then every time it happens again, she goes and she scratches off a little more to make the heart bigger and bigger. And this is a pretty good sized mirror, right? Like, like it's like the size of a mirror you would find over like a bathroom sink or something, right? Yeah, that's like, what I would, I would yeah. like. And so it was so beautiful because I was like, "What an amazing representation for her or for anybody." You know, you're you're sitting there in your room and you're feeling so hopeless or so upset or so lost in your own mind, like trying to sort these things out. And I've I've been like I had different baselines, but I've been where you were at, where it's like, I felt like I was going insane because I couldn't reconcile all of these thoughts and beliefs and systems in my head that were just colliding. And when you're in that place, 
you feel so hopeless because you can't see anything else. Like, it's not like you're lost and then there's all this joy dancing on your peripheral vision, you know, like you forget all about it. It is, it is a very dark, hopeless place. And the fact that you have something right there that you can look at, that's a visual representation of, no, there was love and there is love. And it's still there. I can't feel it right now, but I have a physical representation sitting in front of me that it was there. And that as soon as I come out of this darkness, that it will still be there waiting for me. Like it was like for me, just profound. And it was so beautiful. And I literally just want everyone to go to uh, a discount, you know, store and get themselves some air and pour paint all over it because it was just, it was for me such a, a tangible tool for kind of giving you that rope to hold on to through all of this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. And you basically nailed it um, as far as my thought process and the feelings involved with it. There are two things. One is like, I, find what I, and I don't know what this is about my neurology or whatever, but when I get really like overwhelmed with positive feelings, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> like I have to do something to express it somehow and like seize it, you know? And so that gives me something, it is satisfying to have a thing to do that I can just go and do when I'm feeling that way. And it, like, it's an overwhelmed sensation that's so good. It's almost bad. Yeah. Um, so it let, gives me an outlet for it. And so in the good moments, yeah, it's a useful yeah. thing. But also, like you're saying, in the bad moments, like it holds the spot. It like holds the space because then I feel like I'm growing. Like it's all like what whatever people say, three steps forward, two steps back, whatever, yeah. however many steps yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to say. But that kind of process makes you feel like you're like expanding and then shrinking and then expanding and it's very non-linear yeah. um but at least that like feels like I'm then holding that space for it doesn't like shrink again like I don't pour more paint on it when there's yeah. garbage times you know yes oh and that I oh god I'm so glad you said that because yeah because that that is what we do in real life though right like mm -hmm. we have this expanded heart space and we 100% just pour more paint on it when the shit happens. And then we yeah. forget it's there. But with this exactly. mirror, you are not pouring more paint on it. And so it's an irrefutable like piece of proof in your home mm -hmm. of the reality of what you experienced. And mm -hmm. God, that is just, it's beautiful. And I, I really, truly think that there are going to be people like shutting this off and driving to the store to like buy themselves a mirror because it's just it's just beautiful um there was one other thing I think we have more quotes and stuff but I think that where we have just gotten to is is such a beautiful place to end this right now um that I don't want to pick some of this stuff up I think um talking again about um some of these issues would would be great and if you're open to it I will probably ask you to yeah come back and maybe talk further um and there was something else that I I was going to add here but I can't remember it so I'll so yeah we're just going to end it with your with your beautiful beautiful mirror is there anything that you want to add though before we shut off about um just talking to like anyone who might be in a similar situation from you now I have a feeling this is going to be a hard thing for me to ask you because 
I know you feel like you're not handling this great all the time. (laughs) And it's hard to give advice to people when you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But you are further down this path than a lot of people are. Um, And there will be people that are further and that's totally fine. But there are people that are behind you, right? Mm -hmm. That can benefit from the shit you've already waded through. So do you have anything you would say to these women that maybe share some of your struggles and and thought process processes around unworthiness and suffering and compunction and all of those things? Yeah, I've never been good at giving advice because everything just feels so different from day to day that it's hard to know what's going to stick as valuable Mm. and what I'm going to realize wasn't actually right the next day. You know what I mean? Um, It just feels very dynamic right now. Yeah. Um, Let me, can I, can I reframe what you said a little bit? Just, I think we have this idea and I certainly struggled with it. I still struggle with it. I was crying in the shower uh, yesterday morning (laughs) because I had, I'd gotten lost in this, this, someone had said something and I allowed that thing to call into question everything that I had chosen to believe, um, on my exit out of the Mormon church and the, and the reconstruction of, of my current belief system. And my biggest fear that I'm working through is being wrong. Like, what if I'm crazy? Like, what if all of this is bullshit? What if, yeah, exactly your fear, right? What if I jumped from one thing into another thing and it's just nonsense? And the one thing that I I am using to try to, to reset this idea in my head, well, I have two things. One is how do I feel internally, right? Like if I am the happiest I've ever been in my life, generally to my core, like this, it can't be that bad of thing, right? Even if it's maybe not perfectly correct and I learn more later, uh, it's still not bad. But in addition to that, I think the idea of something being totally right is mostly bullshit. Like there's almost nothing that is like completely right. So when we come to a conclusion we're like, this is the right thing. And then later we learn, that that maybe wasn't the right thing. It does not take away from the fact that it was the right thing for us at that moment in time Mm -hmm. to act as the step stool that we needed to get to the next right thing. And it is very damaging and strips us us of our faith in ourselves when we look back and like, oh my God, I fucked it up, right? Like I totally made the wrong choice. If you can step back and be like, but what did that do for me? you know what, that opened me to the idea of a heart space, right? Or that opened me to the idea that my sexuality might not be evil. And even though I subbed in a new belief system, I took that with me. Like I took that thing that I gained with me. So I think that it's perfectly fine to give advice for where you're at, at any point in time and anything that helped you. And then it's perfectly okay to find a new thing later and have both be right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, the thing, I mean, the thing I talked to you a little bit about that I've been pausing in because it's been a helpful thing for the last 
the last several days at least like on a roller coaster my speed that's that's quite a while to be it really is <laughs> you ride fast and hard girl <laughs> extreme I told you like yes Ugh. exhaust myself but the um the idea like just noticing our language around being self-absorbed or full of yourself subscribes to exactly the philokalia kind of like the way the connotations that we have around a word like self-absorbed even the denotations around self-absorbed that's Mm -hmm. a bad thing or full of yourself that's an insult but it's exactly what we're trying to arrive at also is to have like the integrity of having yourself on the outside and yourself on the inside that's being full of full of yourself without the connotations so um it is it feels like I'm kind of embarking um linguistically in my head on a balancing act here because I want to try being full of myself without being full of myself Mm -hmm. um but just like acknowledging that there's a gap there between a valid goal and a terrible thing like the same phrase sounds Mm -hmm. terrible and at the same time is a valid goal um that's what I'm wrestling with right now and it's it feels like a productive um productive thing to sit and think about yeah oh my god it's such a protect I think it's not even not even so much productive as it is critical like this is Mm -hmm. a critical thing you're embarking on and that is really what it is in my opinion is you are redefining something that has been ill-defined. So you have been told that, yeah, any type of inward anything is terrible, right? Like it's, it's you succumbing to the body, to the demon, to the like weakness that's inherent within you. Could I use inherent there? Does that one work? Excellent. Um, <laughs> do you like how I all of a sudden I have fear around the word inherent? Um <laughs> No, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I'm just teasing you. Um, But what I've realized, like the further away that I move, like words, I mean, I've always known this, but it's, it's gotten deeper since that, like words have so much power. Words are the most powerful thing that we wield because every choice um, leads to a different understanding in the person that you're talking to. Right. So self-absorbed is sounds way worse Mm -hmm. than like self-love oh yeah right but Mm -hmm. like really (laughs) what you're doing is you're making the radical choice to love yourself because when you love yourself you're like no i'm no longer going to treat myself like this i'm no longer going to believe these things about me i'm no longer going to allow you to treat me like this because i love myself enough to do that. Right. So the importance of radically like accepting new definitions of that is critical. And I think because of how your mind works, I think you're going to come to some really profound um, conclusions if you sit in it long enough and that's all it is. You're awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thank Mary Helen. Thank you so much. thank Thank you so, so much. You have come on to this podcast to talk to me from a place of unknowing, which is the most vulnerable thing you can do. It is so much easier to stand from a place of knowing and be like, this is how we do it. And this is how it's done. And you stood up here and talked with me about 
I don't know. I just know that this is what I thought and this is how it made me feel. And that is, again, such an act of profound bravery. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I mean, it's a special thing to get to talk to. First of all, to have somebody like uh, interested in asking questions like this. And also from a from a place where you don't have to start from like square. Like just there's so much background that you're coming from such a place of understanding that we can actually get into the topics. And I'm still pinching myself that there's somebody I get to, I get to talk to you about this. It's such a, it doesn't seem like that, that I feel very lucky. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say poorly. Anyway, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you. I appreciate it. And that is the final point of reason number 742. Why I'm doing this podcast is because Mm -hmm. like you and I are from completely different religions, right? Like Mm -hmm. orthodoxy and Mormonism really look very different on the outside, but we are able to come together and like not only teach each other stuff, but to assist each other in moving forward and in finding oneself. And we are all surrounded by people that can help us if we just realize that it doesn't matter what religion we were raised in or what we, you know, what the experience we had, like they, there are things and understandings that we can all offer each other. And oftentimes someone is, either a neighbor or maybe 14 states away, but we have a mutual friend, you know, that that can connect us. And I think so many of us are in those situations and we just gotta, we just gotta reach out. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Yeah, yeah,